All right. Um, I just want to start out by saying Sunday uh, morning I woke up early and I was praying before the service. And, and um, you know how you can pray, write things? You, you can know the heart of God on the matter. You can know the word of God on the matter. But somewhere you're not hooking up. You know, you're saying the right things and, you're, and you're, you know you're saying the will of God. But there's no excitement in you. It's almost like you're not convinced. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You ever been there? I'm not talking about what we just had, because hopefully y'all were convinced. But, you know, whenever you get to that point, you know, and that's kind of where I was Sunday morning. I was praying, and I, and I was saying right things, and I knew I was praying the will of God, but I just didn't hook up in my spirit, you know? And so I just stopped, and I just started praying in the Holy Ghost. Like, what is the deal here? You know, obviously my mind is not hooked up. My soul, my spirit is not hooked up right now. Something's in the way. Something's wrong. So I just started praying in the Holy Ghost and praying in tongues, and then I just sat still for a little while. And sometimes, you know, you just got to sit still so you can hear what's the matter, you know? And so I just sat still, just sat there quietly. And then, you know, the Bible says that we have deep waters. And it was almost like this little bubble from way down deep floated up to the surface and popped. And out my mouth I said, you win. <laughs> and then I started laughing. God, you win. You, you, God, you win. You win. You win. Like, we know the end of the story. We know where we're headed. You know, it's like knowing the end from the beginning. God, you win. And so we should never be in a place where we're hopeless or without joy or without peace. So when we find ourselves in that moment, maybe we just need a simple reminder. God, you win. You win. There's no doubt about it. You win. We already know you win. No matter what we're seeing in this world around us, no matter what's happening in this world around us, God wins. And if God wins, the good news is you win. (laughs) You can expect to win in this life. Amen. Tonight, um, so funny talking about rain, R-A-I-N, but tonight I'm going to talk about engaging and reigning, R-E-I-G-N, okay? Engaging and reigning. That word, one word that just keeps coming out of my spirit, and it's been coming out of my spirit for about the last month, and I heard Joseph say it a few weeks ago, not the last time you spoke, Joseph, but two times ago when you were speaking, and that word was engage, engage engage. When Joseph said it, he, talk, he was talking about engaging your faith. And he was talking kind of similarly to what I'm going to talk about tonight, about, you know, being a soldier. You have to engage. You have to engage. And so that's the word I want to talk about. And he was talking engaging your faith. So when you, so that word engage in the Webster's 1828 dictionary, it means to encounter, to begin to fight, to attack in conflict, How many of you think conflict is coming right to our door? Yeah, the devil is like showing up. And are we going to show up? You know what I mean? So to attack in conflict. It also means to take a concern in, to undertake, or to embark in any business. So when you engage your faith, that means you embark in faith. Right? You undertake faith. That means you... You get your faith engaged, right? You take your faith and you begin to fight. You take your faith and you attack. You take your faith and you attack. 
when I first started this, during this past month, the, the, um, the Holy Spirit just led me to read Deuteronomy. And um, I think that's where this first started. But there's a passage in Deuteronomy 2.24. Before they go into the promised land, they have a couple of skirmishes first. You know, it's like littler fights, right? And God says to them, he makes a statement. He says, begin to possess it and engage him in battle. Oh, man, when I just read that verse, I, it just went off in me. Begin to possess it and contend with him in battle. The King James says, New King James says, engage him in battle. I just think it's time to engage because it's time to possess people. Church, it's time to engage because it's time to possess. That word engage in the Strong's Concordance in that verse means, I love this, contend, meddle. You know how you can meddle in someone's affairs? Well, I think we're supposed to meddle in some affairs. It means to great. You know, like, like when you get on somebody's nerves? How about we get on the devil's nerves? You know? To great, to anger. How about we make the devil angry by waking up? To anger, to stir up. So engage him in battle. That word battle means it's an engagement. It's warfare. It literally means, which this is even better, it literally means to feed on, devour, consume. How about we do a little bit of that, church? Am I in the right church tonight? How about we do a little bit of that? Overcome. How about that one? You like that one? How about we do a little overcoming, prevailing? Prevailing? So begin to possess it. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. That word possess, ooh, I love this too. All right, well, first begin. That word begin, begin to possess it. That word begin means, literally means bore. You remember that old song, I want to bore a hole, but I don't know where. Oh my gosh, really? It's like you got a little kid and you're like, I want to bore a hole and I don't know where. So I guess I'll bore one right in there. And you tickle them. Nobody's heard that one before. Okay. I guess it's a northern thing. So, all right. Well, that word begin to possess means bore, like bore a hole. It literally means to open a wedge. Like, you know how you get your foot in the door? Stick your foot in the door. Anybody remember the word for this year? I'm opening a new door. How about we bore a hole? Amen? So we begin to possess. So we get our foot in there. We get in the game, in other words. We get in the game. And then possess means to occupy. Just something about that word I like. I'm going to occupy. And this is how you do it. You occupy by driving out previous tenants and occupying in their place. How about we drive out the enemy and occupy in his place? Amen? I love it. All right, so that's what we're talking about, engaging to occupy, engaging to reign. All right? First, there's some important things we need to know about engaging. When I was studying this, we ought to know who the enemy is. We know Ephesians 6.12 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? It's not natural people. People that are coming against you, it's not natural. It's spiritual. You don't need to take care of it in the natural. We're spiritual. We can take care of it in the spiritual. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle. Notice it does say we wrestle. Against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heaven places. So we we are called to wrestle, just not against flesh and blood. 
So there is a warfare, there is a battle. It's on, right? So we have to know who the enemy is, and then we have to realize it's on. Guys, ever since Genesis 2, verse 15, it's been on. Okay? Genesis 2, 15. Let me read it real quick. I think it's 2, 15. Nope, it's not. Maybe it's 1. Is it 3? 3, 15. God talking, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. That word enmity means active opposition. It means wage war. Ever since Genesis 2, 15, I say, 3, 15, it's been on. It's on. So you got to recognize you are in a war whether you want to be or not, right? And the thing about that, recognizing that we're in a war, is if you don't recognize it, you may find yourself on the sidelines. You may be doing nothing, thinking you're not in the game, you know? But you are in the game, and the devil is after you. How many times in the Bible do we hear enemy, adversary, accuser, right? He's your enemy, your adversary, your accuser. He's after you. It's a real deal. But the good news is, Colossians 2.15, Jesus disarmed him, right? So there's good news in that. He's already been defeated. I love Luke 10, 18. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. I mean, God just, I don't, I don't know if he snapped his fingers or what, Joseph, but Satan fell like lightning. Have you ever seen a big dog pick up a little dog and shake the tar out of it? My dog did that one time to the neighbor dog. The neighbor dog came running at him or running at me, nipping at my heels, and my dog just picked him up like a rag doll and shook him. That's how our God does Satan. Our God is so much bigger, so much better, so much mightier, greater. That's who we serve. That's who we serve. So it's a war, but we win. We have the greater one on our side. Now, Revelations 12, I want to remind you about this war and how we fight, but Revelations 12 says... So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. (laughs) For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. So there's three keys, right, to our warfare right there, right? Is the blood of the lamb, we win. The word of our testimony, what are you saying? What's your testimony? And they did not love their lives to the death. Now that's a biggie because we got a lot of fear of death going on in the world right now and in the church, right? A lot of fear of death. But that one of the keys to overcoming him is that you don't love your life to the death. It's like, if I die, I die. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to believe God. If I die, I die. You know, I remember a story about some, I think it was back like in the 1700s. There was a group of people over in like Europe, Asia, and they were fanatics. Can anybody identify with fanatic? I can identify with fanatic. I want to be a fanatic. But they, they um, were, they were having like 24-hour prayer. And this group of people kept 24-hour prayer going for 100 years. 100 years. 
I want to be a fanatic. I don't want to be satisfied with half an hour of prayer, Joseph. I don't want to be satisfied with that. We're a house of prayer. We're a house of prayer. We want to be a house of prayer. Well, anyway, out of this group, they decided to send out missionaries. So some of these, some of these people left and got on a boat. And again, this was way back, like 1700s. Got on a boat, went to South Africa, or went you know, on their way. Well, there was a group of them on one boat that went, I forget where they were going, but they got to an island, and they got out their little spyglass. And, and, you know, all of a sudden people started crying, like the wives and the children started crying because the men were, were getting in the boat to go, even though they'd already looked through the spyglass at the island where they were headed because they found land, so they're going to go be missionaries. They're going to take the gospel to, the, to this land, this land that they found. And they're crying, crying, and you would think they're just crying because their guys are leaving, you know. But no, they, the captain went and got his spyglass and looked, and there on the beach of the island was a sign that said leper colony. They were crying because they knew they would die there. They knew they would get leprosy, they would die there, and they wouldn't be allowed to come back out. But they did not love their lives to the death. You see what I'm saying? I think a little bit of that is missing. I think we can be a lot more braver, church. We can be a lot more braver about what we're about and not love our lives to the death. Let it be that important to us. That we, that the gospel be that important. Okay, anyway, I'm talking about engaging, right? There's an enemy and there's a war on. The other thing, when, you, when you're engaging, you have to understand that you're to possess. And if you're supposed to possess, that means somebody's already given it to you. It's yours. It's yours. And it's yours for the taking. But you have to take it. Right? Even the children of Israel, that promised land was theirs. It was given to them by God Almighty, but they had to take it. They had to take it. They had to engage in battle and take what belonged to them. <laughs> we take what can be taken, right? We take what belongs to us. So we have to engage. You know, there's a, on Sunday, um, oh man, pastor's message was, woo, so good. We should listen to it over and over and over again. And if you missed it in any way, then you need to listen to it. Because it was about engaging. I mean, it was about becoming the church. It was about, and then if you listen to any of the other parts of the, of the morning on Sunday, you know, we're entering, I believe, when I say it's time to engage because it's time to possess, we're entering a new era where the church is going to show up to be the church. The church is going to show up to have dominion and reign. And so we've got to understand we're, we're now entering a time where it's time to possess. So we have got to engage. All these things, I know um, Dr. Savell was here speaking a few weeks back. And he was, he was talk, I mean, talking along these lines, of course. And he was just, oh, now I lost what I was going to say. But he was, I'll get back to it. The restoration of all things. The restoration of all things. All dominion. All belongs to the church. All belongs to Jesus. All belongs to Jesus. And who's going to put all of it under his feet? All of his enemies under his feet? The church. The churches. Amen? 
So how do we engage? Okay, great, Nikki, it's time to engage. Teach me how to engage. Yay, okay. First of all, we don't fight like we're from here. Isn't that what Pastor said on Sunday? We don't fight like we're from here or of here, right? We know the weapons of our warfare, according to 2 Corinthians 10.4, are not carnal, but they're mighty in God, right? The weapons of our warfare aren't carnal. So what's one of our weapons? How do we engage? One, we pray. We pray. We're a house of prayer. That's what we're called to be, a house of prayer. You know, Jesus got mad when he, when he quoted this verse. It was because he was angry that they were transacting carnal business in the temple. Now, we're supposed to be transacting business, but not that kind of business. But we are supposed to be transacting business when we pray. We pray. We say what God says. Pastor, on Sunday, we don't become part of the problem. We don't curse our nation. We don't talk bad. We don't use our, out of the same mouth should not come blessing and cursing, he said, right? So we use our mouths to say what God says. Why? Because we're made in his image. <laughs> we're made to rule and reign here. So we say what he says. We agree with God. We speak forth from our spirit. We speak the word from our spirit. The word that comes up out of our spirit. We speak it forth. That's praying. It's just getting in agreement with what God says. What God says in his word or what he's saying in your spirit. And speaking it forth. Because our words are powerful. Our words are going up. When we pray, it's like Pastor said, you don't just say it's a good word when you come to church. No, it's, it's, it's the word of his power. And when we pray, we're not, we're not just praying and then it's just like over. No, the words we said just went forth. They went across the airwaves through the internet. Any air that they touched, that power had effectiveness, operation, opportunity. And it goes out into our community because we said it. When we said it, sound waves go out. We know according to science. It's so beyond what we understand. So we have to get a better understanding. So we have to say what he says, and we have to pray. That's how you engage. These are weapons. I'm giving you weapons right now. Pray. Pray. Prayer is a weapon. It's a weapon we use. Ephesians 6 in the armor. You get to the end of the armor, it says praying always. With all supplication, right? Praying always. That's part of our weapons, is praying. What's another one? So the first one, how do we engage? We pray. Number two, we say. (laughs) Faith is in your heart and in your mouth. How many times have we heard that this year? Romans 10. It's got to be in your mouth. Your faith has to be in your mouth. House of faith. You got to have faith in your mouth. Can't just be in your heart. Can't just be in your mouth. It has to be in both places. Faith is in your mouth. Some people, I've heard people say, man, it's so crazy. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say about all this. Let me give you a few things. <laughs> Let me help you. <laughs> Psalm 107.2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. How about you go about saying that? I'm redeemed. I don't know about you, but I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. You know, you know they say that they say COVID's growing over it. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. Redeemed, say so. Say so. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 says, boldly say. How about that? Boldly say. 
The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Oh, man, what's this going to look like when it's over? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can, if God's your helper, what can man do to you? I don't know if you heard the offering message on Sunday, but when the, when, when the enemy comes and steals something to you, you just go to the next spot and prosper. What can man do to you? He can't do it. The blessing's on you. He can't do anything to you. You just keep on moving on. You go from blessing to blessing, glory to glory, faith to faith. Because you boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. That's what you say. How about Psalm 91 too? I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress. My God. Hello. My God. He's my God in whom I trust. He's my God. It's real to me. He's my God. He's my God. I know it, and he knows it. And I love that he knows it. He's my God. He will come through for me. He's my God. He's my God. He's my refuge and my fortress. I can run to him and be safe. Psalm 42, 5. Hope in God, I shall yet praise him. Deborah. Hope in God, I will yet praise him. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. Just wait a minute. It's all going to change. I will yet praise him. I will yet praise him. Lamentations 3.24. The Lord is my portion. He's enough for me. That's my portion. You ever fight over the chicken leg? The Lord is my portion. He is enough for me. He's, He's all I need. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Hello, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I hope in him. He's all I needed. He's on my side. So I'm going to hope in him. It's almost like redundant. It's like, of course, of course. If he's on my side, I should, I should have hope. I hope in him. I hope in him. So we pray. We say. We stay. Luke 10.40, we've heard this lately. Mary stayed at Jesus' feet and ate every word. Sometimes you just need to stay. You know, that's a weapon. You can stay in his presence. You can be moving and stay in his presence. But you need to stay. You know, it says Martha was distracted with much serving. Sometimes you need to know when to serve and when to stop. How about when to serve and when to stay? Hopefully when we're serving, we're still staying. You know? Know when to do what? Know when to do what? But we have to stay. We have to stay in his presence. Stay at his feet. That's, hum- that's humble. Is staying at his feet. When you think you know everything, and you don't need to go be at his feet, that's a dangerous place to be. Because he'll resist the proud. But he gives grace, oh man, to the humble. You know, Jesus said to his disciples one time, he was preaching. Jesus was preaching. Jesus was preaching, and some people just decide up and leave. And he turned to his disciples and he said, you going to? Sometimes stay. Just stay. You know, there may be times you come in, something's going on in your life, and you don't understand Preacher's preaching, and you're like, I don't understand what that has to do with me. 
You know, that's not addressing my problem. Just stay. You know what Peter answered? Jesus, you've got the words of life. Who else would we go to? Stay in church. Stay in church. I guarantee you, your man of God has got words of life for you. And if you sit there long enough, you'll get your answer. But if you're distracted by your problem, you'll miss your answer. It could come across from this pulpit on a Wednesday night. But if you're distracted by your problem and you're not here expecting the word of his power, you could miss it. So just stay. Just stay. 2 Timothy 2, 3-4 says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. No one engaged in warfare. That means serving in a military campaign. You're serving in a military campaign. And you know what else that means? Contending with carnal inclinations. How many of you were tempted with some carnal inclinations today? Anybody made you mad? You could have lost your temper, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I told my husband just a few days ago, I think, you know, we're all believing for signs and wonders, but a sign and a wonder might be making it through a day not losing your temper. Because it is crazy out there. We all think miracles are raising the dead. I think miracles right now are keeping your sanity. You know, maybe we should be thinking just a little smaller right now, church, you know. Contending with carnal inclinations. You can't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life. Involving yourself in the transactions of this life. It sounds a lot like loving your life to the death. You know what I mean? You can't love your life to the death. You can't love this life so much that you're not willing to give it up for Jesus. That you may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. That word please means to be agreeable. And when you look it up in the Strong's Concordance, it means excites emotion, like an exciting emotion. Don't you want God to get excited about you, about what you're doing? I want God to sit on the throne and be like, oh my gosh, here, go, here, here goes Nikki. You know, I want him to be like that about me. You know? I, I want him to, oh, here she goes, here she goes, here she goes. You know? I want that kind of, I want to elicit that kind of emotion on my God. That he's just watching, because you know he wants to do so much in the earth, but he needs a man. He needs a man, and he's just waiting. He's up there, he's watching. Doesn't it, it says he's watching for someone that loves him, that will be faithful to him, so he can move on their behalf. And so he's waiting for me to make my move, because he's going to be right there to add his power to my move. You know? He's right there. I want him to be excited about me, about my enlisting as a soldier. Enlisted means chosen, selected. You know, I was going through, you know, the opportunities, Pastor, the days, redeeming the time, redeeming the opportunity, buying up opportunities, right? And when you start thinking about that and looking that up, I came, I was thinking about in Luke where... Jesus wept over the city, and he said, if you would have only known the day of your visitation. That day of visitation literally means day of inspection. Not like day of when Jesus showed up, but when Jesus showed up to inspect his troops. 
And the chapter right before that, he's like, will I find faith? Because that's all he needs to work with. So that's good news. <laughs> all he needs to work with is faith, is our faith. And we're a house of faith, right? We're engaging our faith. We're learning tonight how to engage our faith. So we do it praying, we do it saying, we do it staying, right? And we can't go AWOL. You can't go AWOL. You can get in big trouble for going AWOL. You don't want to go AWOL. You know, in the military here, they will hunt you down. But in the spiritual, if you, go, if you go missing, the enemy will hunt you down. You get out there on your own, he will take you out. We don't go AWOL. Where else would we go? You have the words of life. We stay in the camp, right? And we endure hardship as a good soldier. That's Paul talking to Timothy, a pastor in the church. Endure hardship as a good soldier. That word endure hardship means in union. It means suffering hardship in union together because you're not the only one. Whatever you're going through, other people are going through. And if they're not sitting beside you, they're on the other side of the world going through it. You're not the only one. Never think you're the only one. So endure hardship. Not only that, but think about all the people who've gone before you. The Abrahams, the Moseses, the Davids. There's not one story in there where they didn't suffer hardship. You know, they're in heaven now cheering you on, like, finish what we started. <laughs> we endured, endure. Finish what we started. They need us to finish what they started. Somebody will. One generation will finish what they started. I mean, that could be us. So let's engage, right? You know, some people, you must endure hardship as a good soldier. Sometimes soldier maybe isn't as, like, exciting of a word as it might be to some, as warrior. How about that? Same word. Endure hardship as a warrior. <laughs> I just like that. Warrior. There's just something in it that just says, I can do this. I can do this. I'm a warrior. He's calling me a warrior, which means I can endure this. Because he sees, the Bible also says he will never give you anything that you can't endure. God will never allow you. So no matter how you feel right now, like I'm never, oh my, I just don't think I'm going to make it through this. That's a lie. Cast it down. Use your weapons. That's not from the word of God. He says he will never give you something that you can't make it through, that you can't overcome because you're a warrior. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows me better than I know myself. So I go to him to find out who I am. I don't say, I can't do this. Because he says, yes, you can. <laughs> so I always go to him. I don't always like his answer. Sometimes I want to, like, you know, sit on the sofa, feel sorry for myself. But it doesn't ever get me anywhere. And I'm kind of like, I'd rather get somewhere. Wouldn't you rather get somewhere? I'd rather get somewhere. So guys, when we walk in the room and we're soldiers, warriors. We've been trained. How many in this church have been trained? Yeah. Raise your hand. You've been trained. You've been trained. You're good soldiers. You sit in here. With, if you're in here on a Wednesday night, I know you've been trained. I mean, because you're serious. You're hungry. You're here on a Wednesday night. You're a soldier. You're a warrior. You're here to learn something so you can go out there and win. Otherwise, why would you be here? We don't do this out of routine, right? So when we walk in a room, it's like boots on the ground. 
soldiers just walked in. Boots on the ground. Here we are, church. Here we are. Here we are. You know, I always think it's funny. We know we're involved in warfare, but when somebody gets shot beside us, all of a sudden, everyone, some, not everyone, excuse my language, but a lot of people just raise up their hands and say, I don't know what just happened. How did that happen? They don't do that on the battlefield in the natural. When they move forward and somebody gets shot, they know why. There's an enemy, and he hates us. And he's going to always be bad. Just like God will always be good, the devil will always be bad. He will never be out to help you. And if you even think he's trying to help you, he's just deceiving you. He gives no good gifts. Good gifts only come from God. Right? So we don't raise up our hands and we, say, and we don't say, well, what just happened? I don't understand. And, and then leave the fight. That's not what happens on the battlefield. No. We grab them and we keep moving forward. Right? Yeah, we just keep moving forward. We encourage one another, right? If we have to, if, if a man falls out, we encourage one another to keep moving forward. We don't stop. We don't quit. We keep moving forward. And then the last one, how to engage. The last one I'm going to cover tonight. I'm sure there's a ton more, guys. But pray, say, stay, reign. How do you engage? You decide you're going to reign. And there's only one way. And there's only one way you can reign, and it's found in Romans 5.17. Romans 5.17. Let me read it to you. Mm -hmm. For if by one man's offense death reigns through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So according to this verse, how do we reign? We receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. So what's that word receive means? It means take. I take it. I, first, I have to take it. I have to take hold of grace. Now, you may think, oh, yeah, who wouldn't take hold of grace? Have you ever tried to be gracious to someone and they didn't want anything to do with it? Like help them out of a car or help them over, a, and they didn't want your help. Sometimes you have to be humble to take help. But graciousness is always to give you a help, to give you a leg up, right? But a lot of times people will receive, won't receive it. They won't receive it because they can do it on their own. So first you have to receive grace, which is like graciousness to help. God's being gracious by giving us something. What? The gift of righteousness. He's giving us the gift of righteousness. So we have to receive it. Look at verse 21. Verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that. I love those two little words. So that. Why? So that. As sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That grace might reign through righteousness. So grace can only reign through righteousness. Why is this important? Why am I talking about that? You can only reign when you accept the gift of righteousness. I probably don't have a lot of time to unpack this, but I'm going to do 
just a little. If you read on to Romans chapter 6, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we sin that grace may abound? He says, no. How could we sin if we died to sin? How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? If you died to sin, how can you sin? It says we've been raised in righteousness, right? You can't be raised in righteousness if you haven't made a decision to die to sin. You can't be resurrected to righteousness, being made righteous, if you haven't made the decision to die to sin. There has to be a death before there can be a resurrection. So we have to die to sin. He goes on in Romans 6 to say, he who has died has been freed from sin. Praise God. That's great news. If you decide to die, you're free from sin. You'll be free from sin. Verse 12 says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. It goes on in verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves, whom you obey? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and you became slaves of righteousness. So, and if you read on, it talks about being, verse 22, now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God. So seemingly slaves of God is interchangeable with slaves of righteousness. Everyone see that? Why? Because God has to be your Lord. Lord means master. So when God's your master, then you're a slave of God. You know, there's a, there's a big, in the world today, nobody wants to hear the word slave or servant or anything. Well, we better not have a problem with this word because we are. We're slaves of God, black and white, right there. Slaves of God and slaves of righteousness. And if you're not a slave of righteousness, you're probably a slave of sin. If you're not a slave of God, you're probably a slave of sin because somebody's talking to you and you're following someone's instructions. And it's either sin leading to death or God leading to life. And so we have to be slaves of righteousness. It means we died to sin. You can't let sin reign in your life. I want to read you a note that I have in my Bible. We should never say, this one sin has defeated me. I give up. The power of Christ's resurrection at work within us is greater than the power of any sin, no matter how long it's been in your life. To be under the law is to be under a system of trying to earn salvation in your own strength by obeying the law. Everyone understand that? But to be under grace, God's graciousness, is to be justified and to live by the indwelling resurrection power of God. 
We can die to sin, not because of the law forbidding sin, but through all the resources that God provides. Titus tells us in Titus chapter 2 that the righteousness of God appeared to man, declaring to us, I'm going to read it. I think it's Titus 2.14. Nope, 2.11 and 12. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. When grace was given to us, that word grace, remember I told you graciousness helps? Grace enables you to do something, whether you think you can do it on your own or not, you can't. It enables you to do something you can't do on your own, no matter how hard we try. We could not beat sin on our own. But when God showed up and gave us grace, it enabled us to be free from sin. If we died to sin, if we said, I don't want sin anywhere in my life, if I said, I'm not being a part of that anymore, if we grabbed hold of grace that pulled us out and accepted the gift of righteousness, being made righteous, and then living out of that righteousness, says we have to, it enables us to not live ungodly, but to live righteously. Grace enables you to live righteously. And that's reigning. Let me read you, I want to read you a quote by William Booth, and he was the the beginner, founder, whatever you want to call about the Salvation Army. Now, it's not the Salvation Army like you know today where we go and drop off our clothes. He actually started a Salvation Army like an army of individuals who were all about going getting people salvation. It was a salvation army. I love that. I want to be in. (laughs) William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said this. Listen carefully because I, I need you to hear this tonight because we need people to hear this. The chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. See, we can't teach forgiven without repentance. We can't teach salvation without regeneration. It's about being made righteous. And for righteousness, to be a slave of righteousness, you have to die to sin. In one of the commentaries that I read, oh, I think I have it written down here. Mm. (laughs) I was reading one commentary, and it was just so funny. It's like Christianity didn't, isn't, let me see if I wrote it down. Oh, yeah. Christianity is no more responsible for sin than science and medicine is for disease. Christianity just identified it and its effects in people's lives. Just like science and medicine isn't responsible for disease, they just identified it and then the effects of it in people's bodies. 
right? He goes on and he says that a lot of people don't benefit from the Bible, from the messages on don't sin, because they will not... Some people don't get well physically because they don't apply medicine. I mean, I've been guilty of that. You know, sometimes you're sore, whatever. You don't, you don't go and get medicine. You just put up with it, right? And sometimes it's the same for the effects of sin in our life. We don't want to admit that's a problem, and so we don't get the right remedy. But the bottom of the line is we have to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and all our mind. That's the first great commandment. And he says in this commentary, the tremendous power of sin over people is that it has lulled them into unconsciousness of its own presence and existence. There's a big message out there that there's no, there's no such thing as sin anymore. There's no such thing as sin. Let me read you from the Bible. See, this, Jesus came to set us free from sin. And some people are saying it doesn't exist or we don't have to worry about that or, or there is no sin or... Or I can still live in sin and be fine. Well, that's not regeneration. No, regenerated means I'm a new person. I'm made in the image of likeness. God, God never sins. So I attempt to never sin. Because I'm righteous. I have grace that enables me to beat the devil. I'm not believing one word he says to me. What's sin? Unbelief. It's just unbelief, and it manifests in behavior. But it's really just not believing God. In Deuteronomy 29, 19, of course, you guys know this comes after God talking about the blessing and the cursings, right? And then God says, he says, "Let let no man say this. I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my own heart. And that means, in the Amplified, that means the stubbornness or imaginations of my own heart. Deuteronomy 29, 19. I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my own heart, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. We deceive ourselves when we think things like that. No, the two don't have, no. I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. I don't want to follow the dictates of my own heart. That's an area that I didn't give God, that he's not Lord. I'm not a slave of righteousness in that area. So guess what? I'm not going to reign in life in that area. Remember, this is all about God's good news of reigning in life. It's all about reigning in life. But we have to submit to righteousness. Jeremiah, in chapter 7 of Jeremiah and chapter 8, it says this. I did, God speaking, I didn't command sacrifices. I asked for obedience. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the dictates of their hearts and went backward. Why has this people slidden backward in perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Because they didn't recognize. It was more like, what did I do? And see, we can't go about with that attitude. 
Like, there is no sin, and I didn't do anything wrong, and, and I think it's okay. You think it's okay? What does God think about it? You know, sometimes we think because we don't have a prick in our heart about it, that it's no big deal. But we mistake that. We've done it so many times that we don't feel the prick anymore. It's called the deceitfulness of sin. And it's called being calloused and hard-hearted. And the Bible says plenty about it. And it's deceitfulness of sin that leads to a hard heart, according to the New Testament. And we're supposed to awake, Pastor says, be revived. The Bible says awake to righteousness. Awake to righteousness. You died to sin. We're not living any longer in it. We can't, because we've been made righteous. I, I sometimes question if people continuously sin, persist in sin, I mean, because we all mess up. No condemnation. <laughs> we all mess up. But when we persist in a sin, have we been made righteous? Because how can we do that? It says we make the blood of Jesus vain when we do that. I just want a heart that's soft toward him. Because here's the bottom line. We want to go out and we want to win. I don't know about you, I want to win. I don't want the devil to take me out. I don't want him to take me out early. I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose an nightmare of my life. I'm too much of a competitor. I hate losing. And I'm definitely not losing to a loser. <laughs> and when I'm free from sin, get this, guys, in my own life, if I can recognize sin and say, no, thank you, I have power over Satan. Yes. But when I am in sin and I'm not ruling and reigning over him, his thoughts, his imaginations, you know what I mean, his deceit, then how can I go out and free anybody else from it? And I want to go out and set the captives free. The world is waiting on the manifestation of the sons of God. Why? Because they want to be free, and they just don't know how yet. And we do. And so we've got to be free. So we've got to learn to reign in life through righteousness. Through righteousness. Taking that gift of grace, taking hold of our righteousness, and reigning in life. Not being duped by him into any kind of sin. None. We've got to reign over him. I mean, I don't know about you, but I just like going to, you know, I mean, I'm going to show him what's what. Like, you're nothing. You're nobody. My God beat you, and he put me over you. I kind of want to alpha dog him, you know? You guys know what that is? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, we should kind of have, am I, we should kind of have that attitude. Lack, what? Sickness, what? No, I'm not putting up with that. I'm not putting up with that. I'm going to reign in life through righteousness. I'm going to stay. I'm going to say. I'm going to pray. I'm going to reign. Because I'm engaged. I'm engaged, and my God wins. My God wins, which means I win. Amen? Amen. Pastor? Good word, Nikki.